Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate it. Appreciate everyone uh, who's on the call tonight. And you know, as I said just a second ago, I know not all of you are on the call. It's just praise the Lord for technology for uh, us to be from all over United States and uh, Canada, Japan. It's just amazing, you know, what God can do and uh, what we're able to do through that. And so uh, John asked me to uh, share a little bit of my testimony. And so I wanted to do that and maybe uh, toward the end share a little bit about GFI, what we're, uh, what we want to do and, um, uh, maybe answer some questions if you guys have those. Um, you know, people sometimes will ask me how my life was changed, especially those that have known me for a long time. And of course, you know, when people ask that, your first, uh, answer to that is my life drastically changed December the 29th, 1996 as a 20 year old boy when I gave my life to Christ. But really when they ask me that, uh, within the last, you know, five, six, seven years or so, uh, I tell them that it was the day that I sat down with a man named Hans Hahn, who got on a whiteboard and started drawing some uh, diagrams that I would later um, know as the wheel diagram and later even more than that, the line diagram. And, um, you know, so just a little bit about me, my I didn't grow up in a church home. Um in fact, until I was 12, I really don't remember going to church that much. We were the Christmas and Easter people, uh, maybe Good Friday. Uh, but I do remember one time I was nine years old. We were at church and my Sunday school teacher at the time uh, asked everybody in the class. Uh, so, again, you know, we're nine year old kids. Do you want to go to hell when you die? And you don't have to go to church, but maybe one or two times when you go to a really small Baptist church to know that that is not what I want to uh, be my eternal destiny. And so her answer to her question of do we want to go to hell, all of which we said no, uh, was to go down front when the pastor was done preaching. And so the pastor got done preaching. I went down front. He said, son, do you want to be saved? And my answer to that was, yes, I don't want to go to hell when I die. And he said, let's pray. And uh, he prayed and I listened. And for the next 11 years of my life, I, um, you know, I'm living, believing a lie in essence, uh, trying to rededicate something that I'd never given God in the first place. Um, so you fast forward to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now 20 years old. I'm driving home one night and I just run off the road. You know, I, I don't have a wreck. Just, you know, one of those moments where it just gets your heart beating really fast. And, you know, you're just, you know, maybe a little bit of sweat. And and I remember thinking, what would happen to me like, if, if this would have been different? Had, you know, if if I really did die um, what, what would happen to me? What, what, what would my eternal destiny be? And it was for the first time that I realized that I had never given my life to Christ. I, 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 you know, I, I'd gone down front just like my Sunday school teacher said. I answered what I thought to be the right answer to the question that my pastor said. Um, but I had never given my life to Christ. And, and I remember getting home and, and I, I know you're probably going to think that, you know, I opened up the Bible and I probably went to a New Testament passage, um, but I didn't. I, I actually found my way to Isaiah 53 um, and Isaiah 53:10. in the in at that time, you only knew about the KJV, um, but it said, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And, and I remember just stopping and kind of sitting back and I thought, that doesn't make any sense. Like it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I think in my religion mind, I thought Jesus had to come, right? I mean, he he had to die on the cross. He it was kind of forced upon him, and and to hear that he chose to go to the cross, that he chose to love me, 
it, it, it was so overwhelming to me. I, I couldn't wait to get to church. I couldn't wait to, you know, talk to someone um, about this. But yet in, in the and how just, you know, I don't know and how God works. The, the next Sunday was, was Youth Sunday. And uh, I don't know if, if those of you know anything about Southern Baptist world, uh, but usually the fifth Sunday of the month is the youth Sunday where the youth kind of take over all the responsibilities of the church. So everybody teaches a, a Sunday school class. Somebody leads the music. Somebody preaches the sermon. And so that Sunday uh, was my turn to lead the music. And I'll, I'll never forget, we had a brand new preacher at this time, and he, I, he was he was preaching out of Romans. And, and I'll never forget him talking about how salvation was a personal responsibility. It was something that you had to repent of your sin. You had to place your faith in Christ alone. And, and I was so convicted. And you would think because I'd had this moment of reading Isaiah 53 that as soon as he gave the invitation – that I was just going to, you know, bust it down to the altar. But I, I was so nervous because I thought everybody in the room thinks I'm a Christian. I mean, I just led the music for heaven's sakes. I can't, you know, I can't let everybody down. I can't do that. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the pastor said, well, you know, if we could get our song leader to come and give us a song of invitation and I'm under so much conviction, I got a hold of the pew and my buddy looks at me and says, Hey man, you got to go down front. And I thought, Oh no. Like everybody now knows there's like a sign over my head that's that's letting everybody know that, you know, I'm not a believer. And I looked at him. I said, I'm not going down front. And he said, you have to. And I said, I'm not going down front. He said, Mark, you're the song leader. He's asking for you to go and give a song of invitation. You have to lead the song. And I I remember just setting down. I walked down front. I set the songbook down on um, the piano there. And, and I went to my pastor and I, I said, if everything that you just said is true, I've never done that in my life. I've, I've never personally asked Christ to come into my life to save me of my sin. I've never repented. I've, I've never done that. And that night, December the 29th, 1996, is the night that I gave my life uh, to Christ. Uh, the next summer in uh, 97, my life changed again. A lot of things that I was holding on to, God uh, was taking away from me and, um, and, and really was beginning to lead me, um, into, uh, into, into ministry. And, uh, it, it's sort of a long story that I won't go into. All to say though, he led me to Isaiah again. Um, Isaiah 58 1 that says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob, their sins. And, you know, I wish, again, I'm a pretty stubborn person, um, and, and I wish that I could say that that moment, you know, I was like, Lord, I'm in. But I, 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 you also, if you're going to, you'll know this about me. I, I'm always just, I just want to be honest with everyone. I remember praying that night, God, if, if you want to do something with my life that is just mediocre, I'm not interested in that. But if you want to do something with my life that when it's all said and done, it will only be explained by you. It's the only way we could ever figure it out. Then, then I'm in. I, I'm. I want to surrender to that. You can have, you know, my life. You can have my mouth. You can have my vocation. You can have my fears and all of the things uh, that that is there. You you can uh, you can have it. And so that night, I surrendered to ministry. The next um, Sunday, you know, did that officially at my church and and, and my church again, really small country church. Uh, here in Knoxville and um, began to just work with uh, different shut-ins, which was two men that really taught me how to love people. 
And um, but I, one of the things that happened during that time is I thought, well, since I'm going to be a pastor, I probably should read the Bible all the way through. I'd never done that before. And I thought, you know, I, if you're going to be a pastor, if somebody says, what does this verse say? I should probably be able to say, I don't know if I know what it says, but at least I've read it. And uh, something very intriguing happened. I, I finished reading through the Bible, especially through Paul's epistles there at the end. And I realized that there's there's an issue between what I've heard in the church and what I just read in the Bible. And that is the person and the work of Holy Spirit. And um, I also realized very quickly that after having a conversation with my pastor, that no one in my circle of influence knew who Holy Spirit was outside of he is God. Uh, in fact, my, I remember my pastor, and we joke about it today, but I remember my pastor saying, well, you know when people lift their hands when they're singing? And, and I said, listen, I'm going to stop you there. I, I don't know much, but again, I just got done reading the Bible, so I, I'm not a scholar, but I know it's more than that. And so if you don't know, just tell me you don't know. Um, and so I remember leaving that meeting, and, and my prayer was, Holy Spirit, I've got a problem. And my problem is... I don't know anyone who knows who you are. So you're going to have to teach me because I, I don't know who is around to be able to teach me who you are. Thus leading me through, uh, you know, many years of experiences of, of, you know, of the spirit that I really had no knowledge to, you know, kind of work my way through. And, uh, you know, my 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 testimony and my journey to the cross of, of total surrender was was really hard. In fact, uh, my wife and I got married in June of 2000 and uh, my oldest son, Bryson, was uh, born in, uh, August the 13th of 2002. And, uh, you know, when he was born, the, John 316, just the, the heaviness of that became very real to me because the thought of giving my only son to someone I knew or did not know was a foreign concept to me. In fact, as a father, I remember thinking I would do anything for this kid. I, I've held this kid now for, you know, 12 seconds and already I'd give my life for him. But that God loved me so much that he would give his only son for me was just so overwhelming. And uh, around a little bit after that time, I really began in my prayer time to sense God leading me to uh, surrender my wife and my son to him. Um, and, and quickly realizing that was more than just a prayer because I would, you know, I would pray and, uh, you know, say, Lord, you know, here's my wife and my son. You can have them and really feeling like they're like the spirit really speaking back to me. OK, then I'll I'll take them. And and really in my in my immaturity, not really understanding that I didn't own them to begin with that they were not in my control, that, you know, the whole world wasn't, you know, I, I, I couldn't just, you know, hold them in the, in the grasp of my hand. Um, but I remember my answer to that prayer was, well, God, evidently you don't know what a gift is because I'm gifting you my wife and kid. You know, they're, they're, it, she's my wife and he's my son and I'm giving them to you. So if you're just going to take them from me, well, I'll just take them back because, you know, I, I was trying to be kind here to you. And, um, and of course, this, the, the folly of that and the, just the, uh, the immaturity of that. But that, that goes on for about a year of me having a prayer time. Lord, here's my wife. Here's my son. Uh, really feeling like the spirit says, well, I'm going to take them and, uh, fear would rush over me. And, and, and again, the ignorance would run, would flush over me. And, uh, and I would just, I would take them back. And this lasts for about a year. And uh, it's now uh, the summer of uh, 2000, well, I guess May 2003, 
Uh, I'm at uh, a conference uh, in Sherman, Texas, in the middle of a cow field um, that's being uh, put on by uh, passion conferences. So uh, Louis Giglio, Chris Tomlin, uh, this is an organization that I work with as well. And um, they were hosting a conference and, and we were there and I'm laying face down on the field and I'm so frustrated. And I remember praying, God, I'm afraid. I'm scared. Uh, I don't want to be frustrated anymore. I don't want to keep fighting you because I, I'm not winning. You know, it, all of this is is, is just a, uh, you know, a, a secular thing that's just it's causing destruction in my life. It's uh, it's very frustrating. And so, Lord, I, I'm giving you my wife and, and my son. And again, it's just as if that 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 voice again is that I'm going to take him. But it was the very first time that I was able to say, then thank you for the time that you gave me with them. But, you know, what was really crazy is that looking back, the I'm going to take them was never I'm going to take them from you as in death, but that I'm going to take them because they were mine already. And so for a whole year, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this idea that, you know, here I am wanting to, or at least in my mind, right, I'm, I'm wanting to surrender, but I really wasn't because I wanted to be in control. And, and, and at the time that I'm praying that prayer, I can hear a song. I'm laying face down on the, you know, in the, in the grass there, and I can hear a song that was pretty famous at the time. Chris Tomlin was singing a song called Enough. And, and I wrote down some of the lyrics said, all of you is more than enough for all of me. And I remember in that moment thinking, Jesus, you're enough. I'm not completed by my wife. I'm not completed by uh, my son. You know, it, it, it's you. you. You are enough. And, and, and I'm, I want to give my wife. I want to give my son. And, and, and then ultimately working through all of those lists, like many of you have, of, of giving, surrendering over my ministry, surrendering over my fears, my successes, my confidences, uh, my lack of confidence, and, and all of those things. Um, and, and really just, you know, really beginning, beginning to live open handed um, and, and allowing myself to see I don't own anything. And, and the beautiful part of that, right, is if I own nothing, then nothing can be taken from me. And there's just a freedom that comes with that. If I, if I, if I just have my hands open and one of you says, hey, I need this and, and my hands are like this, then you can just take it. I haven't lost anything because I didn't own it to begin with. Um so that's 2003. In 2006, we had been living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, in 2006, God moved my wife and I. Uh, by this time now, we have a son and a daughter uh, back to Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, for the first three years from 2006 to 2009, I was the student pastor at a church here in East Knoxville called Chihuahua Hills Baptist Church. Um, in 2009, I became the lead pastor, of which I was the lead pastor until um, the um, March of this year when I uh, resigned first of the year this year to transition to GFI. Um, but while I was in that processes of uh, transitioning from student pastor to lead pastor, I met a man uh, named Blaine Anderson who uh, became a spiritual father for me for about 13 years. Um, and he began to use words like spiritual world. And he would always talk about, you know, spiritually minded people and, and you know, the people understand the spirit world. Do they understand the work of the spirit? And, you know, I, I began to learn so many things that I had wanted to learn back in, you know, 1997 when I started ministry and had read the Bible all the way through. And, uh, you know, for years I would try to sit down with people and talk about the spirit. And some people would just get up and walk away. They they just they were so nervous. They were 
scared of what that might look like. And uh, but for the first time uh, now it's 2009 and God uses Blaine to really uh, speak these words into my life and to really give me some knowledge to try to understand all of these experiences that I've been experiencing uh, in my life. Uh, fast forward again to 2015 and uh, I'm on the edge of burnout. I, uh, the ministry was, was going really good, but when you just add in church finances, people, counseling, staff, issues, uh, it, it just, it was too much. I felt like I was drowning, uh, with no lifeline and, um, wanted to quit, but I knew that that would not bring honor and glory to God. So I went to, uh, the leaders of our, uh, church and asked them if, um, I could take a, uh, a sabbatical. And, uh, because I realized that my identity was really in all the wrong things. Uh, for example, you know, Sunday was all determined on did people respond to my sermon? Uh, you know, you preach a sermon. No one did anything with it. Wasn't a good sermon. People moved. It was a good sermon. Uh, you, you know, you, you go into work on Monday and, uh, you know, get an email from the financial secretary and the offering was what you needed it to be for the budget. So that equated to you're a good leader. And if it didn't, then you're not a good leader. And so you can imagine, you know, your, your life is just a series of ups and downs and ups and downs because my identity was based on works. It was based on, you know, did someone pat me on the back and say, man, that was a good job? Or did they say, oh, my goodness, man, you got a lot to learn. Um, and so because my identity was wrapped up in temporal and false, you know, things, uh, again, here here I'm at at burnout. And, and it's during my sabbatical that I'm introduced uh, to GFI. And uh, for some of you, you may know Rob Clogg or heard that name before. And uh, Hans Hahn, which is a board member of Grace Fellowship International, uh, who was also a member, uh, still is a member of Chihuahua Hills, brought me to GFI and uh, sat down and I talked with Rob. I uh, talked with Dr. Woodward. I got to meet Dr. Solomon uh, for a brief period of time. And uh, for the very first time, you know, walked through the wheel diagram, the line diagram. Um, it, it didn't really, uh, the lights didn't come on for me. I remember thinking, you know, this all makes sense. Uh, but it really didn't, you know, pop in my brain. Uh, I, I like to tell people sometimes, uh, I think we're all probably close to the same age. So, you know, when, when we were kids, you know, your mom around Easter time would buy you the Easter activity book. You remember those things? And uh, usually one of the activities was a picture of just numbers, dots and numbers. And you had to kind of connect the dots and you would look at it and you would think this is a bunny. And then, of course, you would, you know, one to thirty one and it was a bunny and you would color it in. And I, and I tell a lot of people sometimes when you're looking at exchange life and, and, you know, we're not we're not bringing in a new epistle that you've never heard of before. We're connecting the dots. We're connecting what Paul is saying and, and you know, in, in Colossians and Ephesians and Galatians and Romans and and all of these things. And so the dots were connected, but the light didn't come on. And um, but I got back from my sabbatical and began to uh, really set up what I would call, you know, guardrails. Most people would call those boundaries. One of those was I needed to meet every single week with Hans Hahn. And uh, my first meeting with Hans, he sat down, began to draw the wheel diagram. And for the very first time, the lights just it, they just they all came on so blaring. And I remember saying to him, this is why I do what I do. This is why I yell at my kids when I'm frustrated or I get aggravated with my wife when I'm stressed out. Um, you know, the, the, the self life and, and, and Christ life and, and all of these things. And for the very first time, I began to hear things like Christ was my life. I'd, I'd never heard that before. I'd always heard he was my Lord. I'd always heard he was my Savior. But no one ever told me that he was my life. Uh, you know, no one ever told me that the power that raised the dead was in me. I'd read that, but no one really explained that to me. How does that practically look? 
uh, you know, in, in my life. And I, I began to, you know, really gravitate to a, um, a quote out of Handbook to Happiness that Dr. Solomon wrote where he talks about we're learning to become in experience who we already are in position. And, and, and when I began to, to think about Ephesians 2, 6 and think about, wait, wait a minute, you mean I'm there? Like I'm already there. And if I'm already there, well, how does that change my life now? All of a sudden, right, I'm not I'm not defined by who moves during my sermon. I, I'm not defined by whether or not the offering I'm I'm called by God. I'm chosen by him. And, and in fact, I was chosen before the foundations of the world, which means before I could do anything to say to myself, I earn God's love. He chose me before that. But then if I did something bad, you have a bad day before I could do anything to discredit myself. God had already chosen me and he loved me. You know, the big one for me is, um, you know, when, when Paul writes in Colossians 2.10 that we're complete in him. And even today, when I'll say to people, you know, you're complete in Christ, they'll, they'll look at you, right? Like their eyes kind of get a little big and, and, and I'll let it sit for a second and I'll say, I bet you have some thoughts in your mind right now that's contradicting the statement that I just made, right? And they're like, yeah, I mean, I, I said something, I thought something. And, and and I'll always say to them, that's real. Like your thought, your what you said, that's real, but it's not the truth. Because it's not the truth because the truth is what God says about you. The truth isn't what you say about you because your identity is not based upon what you do, whether what you do is good or bad. It's not what others think about you. It's not what you think about yourself. It's not what you wish you were. Your identity is based in who Christ says you are. And he says that you are chosen, that you're accepted, that you're beloved, that you're complete. And and, and all of a sudden, you know, that began to change because in my world of Southern Baptist world, if you wanted a big hearty amen, you get up in front of the church and say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that place will erupt. They will go crazy. But I realized I'm not a sinner saved by grace. That describes a little bit of me, but my identity is I'm a saint. And as I began to think about that, I thought, you know, my life would look different every day if I viewed myself as a saint instead of a sinner that saves by grace. Because a sinner saved by grace sins and then uses his grace credit card to just try to get forgiveness from God, which Paul writes in Romans 6.1, shall we continue to sin so that God's grace may abound? God forbid. No, that's not how we're supposed to live. And, and as I began to really understand my identity and really understand, you know, that Galatians 2.20 is not just something cool to put up on my wall in my office, but that that was my life, that I died, that I died with Christ, that I was buried with him and, and raised to walk in newness of life. Not not that I got a little bit of an upgrade, not that not that God kind of came in and with the screwdriver and tightened all the loose screws of my life that that were that were a little bit loose, but that I am a brand new creation. And and, and that that just changed my life. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because people uh, when I would get back off my sabbatical and I really began to understand these teachings, I just began to teach them all the time. Everything was all about, listen, here's the great thing about the, at the end of the sermon. It's not based on what you got to go do because you can't do it. That's why God sent Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit's in you and he's going to accomplish this through you if you will surrender to him and allow him to work through you because everything he does is good and just and perfect and wise. And uh, even now when I'm meeting with pastors over the last few months and coaching with them, I've been saying to them, just preach two more minutes. And of course, some of the guys are, are like, are, you, mean, you mean literally two more minutes? And I'm like, no, no, no. 
the two more minutes is stop leaving everybody in your congregation frustrated by you telling them what they need to do, but tell them what they need to do, but leave them with they have the power that raised the dead within them to help them to accomplish what they can't do on their own. They have a power in obedience. And uh, and God's really doing um, some amazing things. And so, you know, for me, uh, daily is just reckoning myself dead to sin and alive to God, Romans 6, 11. And, uh, and in that, just, you know, trying to begin every morning with, you know, the, you know, surrender, you know, not just my wife and my kids, but my ministry. Um, you know, I, I've been on the board of GFI since around 2019. And, um, you know, last summer, right about this time, God began to really speak into my wife and I's life about, um, you know, what, what does the second half of ministry look like for us? And, um, I love Chilhawi. Man, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was to tell the people that I love the most. Um, that we were leaving. Uh, but when they realized what we were going to do, that we were going to go to Grace Fellowship, work alongside of Dr. Woodward um, to really begin to help people to understand exchange life, to really understand identity. Uh, one of my taglines I always talk about is fact over emotion. Um, you know, what, what what is the fact? What's the truth? What does the word say? Not how do you feel? Your, your, your feelings will always catch up. Uh, don't listen to your feelings. L- listen to the truth. Listen to uh, the fact. And so just really excited about um, what God is doing and, and living out of, you know, our identity, especially all of the amazing words that you find in Ephesians 1, where uh, God begins to, um, you know, speak all of those truths uh, in, into our life. And um, I guess I'll, I'll close with this and then I can talk a little bit about Grace Fellowship. But um, I remember in ministry thinking to myself, one day I'll climb the Mount Everest of guilt. One day I'll make it to the top and it's going to be victorious when we get there. And I remember hands saying to me one day when I said that, Mark, you're already there. You, you can you can get on Facebook, Craigslist and sell all your, you know, your hiking gear because you don't need it. You're already there. And how amazing and freeing it was to know I don't have to strive anymore that if I will just surrender to him. You know, in Christ, there's the power. In Christ, there's the life. In Christ, I am complete. And watching people come to that same realization that, you know, in Christ, that that's the key. Um, and so just I'm so grateful for Grace Fellowship, for what it's done in my life and, and how it allowed me to pastor a group of people for the last, you know, probably six years that I was there uh, or so to uh, really be able to help people uh, become, you know, come into freedom. Uh, you know, John and I talk one of the uh, you know two words that we use uh, in our kind of our leadership values is is pioneering and engineering. Uh, the idea of pioneering is that we really want to, you know, get back to doing what our DNA was. And that is, you know, we're not following anyone. We're really trying to, you know, lead the way for a lot of people to, you know, to come into their identification in Christ. Um, and And really, you know, what I saw at the church was. You don't have to wait for people to be broken for them to grasp the truth of, of what the word of God says. And, um, you know, one of the things and you guys can please be praying about this for us. In fact, I, I have another meeting tomorrow at two thirty with with pastors that I'm able to sit down with and explain the truth of exchange life and explain these principles of Galatians two twenty. Uh, because a lot of guys, and you, you probably know this because you've been to churches yourself that really are they're just preaching, you know, God died so that you can. And they're not saying it, but we kind of borderline on we're saved by grace, but kept by works. 
because sanctification has kind of become this, you know, now that you're saved from the penalty in order to be saved by the power, you need to, you know, you need to pray and you need to read and you need to give and you need to go and you need to do all that. Right. But that's all works based. And and really, you know, all, we, we really just need to be with Jesus. Right. Being is always preceding doing. Um, and, and a lot of these pastors, as, as I'm talking to them about this, are really opening up to, hey, you know, can, can you and Dr. Woodward come and, you know, do a seminar? Can you come preach at my church? You know, some guys are even saying, well, you come train my staff. Can I get can, can I give you my staff meeting and you just come in and, and you know, draw this wheel diagram? Because you're right, man, you, you know, I'm seeing myself as a carnal Christian for the very first time. Some of these pastors are saying that because, you know, they're seeing when when self is in the center of that circle, you know, I call it the tornado of trouble that comes in. And that tornado of worry and fear and doubt and inferiorities and, 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 and all these things that, that just creates this this reaction instead of when Christ is in the center and they can respond from the truth. And so. um yeah, thank you so much for. Uh, I know that was a kind of a lot, a, a short amount of time, but um, you know, John wanted me to share a little bit of my uh, my testimony. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard our, our new uh, vision uh, statement at GFI is really guiding people into complete and victorious identity in Christ. Um, and my my dream, my goal uh, is really helping people, body, soul, and spirit. Uh, you know, we, we we see a lot of people that would just really claim to be. Uh, fit or maybe okay in one area, but we really want people to be um, okay in all the areas and, um, and and really understanding that when Jesus said there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that's truth, uh, but there's also the abundant life that's truth as well. And, um, you know, the, the, the uh, Egypt to wilderness um, uh, the talk that we always do, I've been thinking a lot about that over the past week because I'm, I'm going to be helping John at a seminar and I'm, I'm doing that talk. And and it's so true that we tend to think, you know, crossing the Jordan's when I die and going into Canaan, Canaan is, is when I go sing so many hymns, you know, about that. And, and not that there's not, you know, that that's not beautiful, but it's just it's it's robbing people of victory that they can have today. And uh, and that's our goal and that's our dream. And, uh, you know, we're we're praying for all of you guys and, and praying for uh, your ministries and, and how we, you know, how we will partner together or how we can partner together. And uh, and looking for gods that are going to be helping us to, you know, expand our reach and, and really allow us to, you know, um, to reach into places that John and I just we, we can't be everywhere. John can't be everywhere. And he's done an amazing, amazing work. I think celebrating 21 years next month. Isn't that right, Doc? And um, but so grateful for him and uh, so grateful for you guys and grateful for the opportunity to be uh, on the meeting tonight. Amen, brother. Um, friends, we're so uh, blessed, aren't we, to hear Mark's testimony. And I'm just grateful, Mark, for how God uh, burdened your heart, not only to be a board member, but then to leave uh, the pastorate, um, to, to leave Grace Fellowship. We're so grateful for your teaching gifts, your leadership gifts, your testimony. And it's just been a joy to work with you full time uh, in these yeah. last months and look forward to what God has in store for us uh, for the future. Do you want to say something about uh, your family ministry? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my, I'm uh, married to my wife, Carrie. We have uh, five uh, beautiful kids. And my oldest son, uh, Bryson, is a um, plays basketball at uh, a college in Salisbury, North Carolina, called Catawba College. Uh, my daughter is about to um, start college at Carson Newman, which is a small uh, Christian college right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. So she'll be a freshman. 
And then I have three. I call them really uh, little anymore. Uh, Corbin Teen, about to be a freshman in high school. And then Hudson, who um, is a spitting image of me in every single way. You know, people always talk about one of your kids. They're going to, you know, my mom and dad would say, you're going to have a kid and they're going to pay you back. He does all of that. And then some, it's it's, it's amazing. Uh, and then my youngest, Tyson, uh, is about to be 12, and uh, he's adopted from Ethiopia. So let's uh, continue to remember uh, the McCann family in prayer for God's blessing, protection, provision for them. Mark, we're so grateful for you sharing your testimony tonight. Some of you may remember that we have a couple of Mark's sermons from the Church in Knoxville on our audio channel, and you'll be, if you haven't heard them already, you'll be enriched uh, uh, to be listening to his, his preaching. And uh, we're just a phone call or email away, right, Mark, uh, for people yep. that want to learn more about serving. Um, would you comment about using the, the new terminology about being a guide? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, uh, you know, as we, as I, as I came on staff, one of the things that I quickly realized is the need of people far surpasses our ability to help them. Um, you know, Dr. Woodward is crazy busy all the time. You know, whether this is Zoom meetings like this with you guys, Zoom meetings with one-on-one counseling. Um, so we began to, you know, really dive into how do we, how do we eliminate this? How do we help people? How do we expand our reach? And um, I was trying to just come up with some ways of, you know, having these conversations. And I went to a friend and, and, and really just kind of made up a scenario to, to try to start a conversation with him. But I said, hey, you know, we have so many people that are calling our church office or, our, uh, you know, our, our work office. And that that was true. And I said, man, could you help us in counseling? He's like, no, I, I, I'm not a counselor. I'm not certified for that. I'm not, you know, I, I don't I'm not, you know, I don't have the degree for that. It's really what he was saying. Well, the next week, you know, he was asking me, how are things going? I said, listen, the phone's ringing off the hook. It's crazy. And uh, I'm, this is the one I made up. I said, hey, we got this guy, and I just need you to walk him to where you are. You, you've, you've gone through Exchange Life. You and I have met probably 50 times. You, you know this as well as I do. Would you just help this guy get to where you are? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'd love to. I said, listen, I just made that up. That, that's what I asked you to do last week. I just used the word counselor. And, and, and you, you, you were, you're, you're, you're going crazy on me. Um, and so John and I really began to, to say, okay, you know, counselor kind of has a, I'm not certified to do that. And then you start talking about the word pastor. That has a negative connotation sometimes too, because people are like, I don't, I don't need some religious mumbo jumbo. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're settled in the Smoky Mountains here. And, um, and the word guide just, you know, really came to me through, you know, through Holy Spirit because, a guide does two things. A guide will help you go somewhere that you do not feel comfortable going on your own. Um, you know, if you just decide to go to your favorite spot somewhere, you don't hire a guide. But if you're going to get to the top of Everest or even to base camp at Everest, you're going to have to have a guide. But the other beautiful thing that a guide does, and, and, and actually John set me up because we were supposed to hike to uh, Mount Leconte, which is one of the highest points that you can get to here in the Smoky Mountains that you can't drive to. And that morning he was sick. And uh, so I hiked Leconte with, with two guys without him. But on the way up, um, one of the guys, you know, he was really our guide. And he kept saying, oh, look here, this is the chimney tops. Look here, this is this. Look here, this is this. And I thought... You know, if I didn't have a guide, the, the hike was so hard that I would have just put my head down and just thought, get to the top, get to the top, get to the top. So a guide will not only help you to get somewhere that you don't feel comfortable getting to on your own, but a guide will also point things out to you along the way that you would otherwise miss. 
And so that that's what we're looking for are, you know, guides that go through our certification process, which we've had for a long time. Um, but now we actually have a manual and a process for people once they become certified uh, that can kind of get on the on-ramp to become a guide with GFI and uh, begin to receive referrals from us uh, to be able to teach the wheel and line diagram and counsel people um, and, and be able to receive funds from that uh, through donations that will be given that they would receive a, a portion of that and GFI will um, as well. Amen. Well, one of the advantages of this uh, vision that you've been hearing about is to create more of a extended team, right, Mark, of yep. people who uh, can have fellowship together. Today we were meeting with a brother who had training with us over a decade ago. He's a, a full-time Christian counselor, but he has uh, sensed a need uh, to come back to a more Christ-centered emphasis, and uh, that was just one example of daily opportunities we have uh, to fellowship to network, uh, to encourage one another. And so pray as uh, Mark leads us in developing uh, this wineskin, you know, for the uh, the wine of the Christ Center life to flow, that uh, it will be a, a form of fellowship and mutual encouragement and networking uh, with those who want to be involved in a more intentional way through Grace Fellowship and doing uh, Christ Center personal ministry. So, um, and I think even if if you if you even have a uh, maybe a specific niche of something, you know, we we're looking for people like that. Even if you're if you think I, I don't just want a referral, but if you had a referral, maybe uh, you know, I was talking to a gentleman who uh, had lost a child, and, and his comment to me was, "I would love to be a guide for people who are you know in the that are being referred, but maybe are in the processes of grief of losing a child." And I, I think I could really speak into that. Um, I, I, we had a, another couple who talked about uh, divorce and, and thought, you know, we, we've kind of gone through the reconciliation of divorce and if we could help people. So um, I, I think that that's also um, an idea. So if that's something that you're interested in, I'd love to talk to you. Or if you're like, man, Mark, can I just call you up and I just love to talk with you. I, I would love to talk to any of you. We could set up a Zoom call to talk on the phone, FaceTime. Uh, whatever it would be. I, uh, I, I just, I love being at GFI. I love what God is doing. I love meeting people. And, um, so anything that, that I can do to help you guys in your journey, uh, please know that you can always uh, reach out. My email is just mark at gracefellowshipinternational.com. So it's pretty easy to remember. It's long, but it's easy to remember. So you can always shoot me an email and, um, and we can set something up. On behalf of all of us tonight, Mark, we thank you for, for ministering, sharing your testimony and vision of Grace Fellowship. We believe uh, your ministry here at Grace Fellowship is an answer to prayer, and we ask for those who are maybe seeing this recording or listening to it that they would pray um, and just ask the Lord to guide them in how they may uh, participate in God's will for us in the days to come. So thanks again, Brother Mark. God bless and guide you and your family, and well, thank it's you. a privilege to serve with you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate you all. Have a great night.